7.04, and boy, do we have a big show on tap for you tonight. It's Ira on Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo here as well, and... Um, Ira, a ton to get into tonight. This is the time of year that I love because football's in full swing. College, you know, we're going to talk about later, almost wrapping up as far as who can actually win. Uh, baseball playoffs are going on, and if you don't know, the Los Angeles Dodgers just extended their lead on the Braves. It's going to be 6-2 to two off a of Manny Mikado home run. That's in the top of the seventh there. Um, before we get into our guests and everything we're going to talk about tonight, Ira, I, you know, I'm sitting in the airport this morning, and, you know, you got a lot of time. You're in the airport all the time. So, you know, you're kind of just sitting there thinking, this is weird to me. You know the city in North Florida, Tampa? Yes. Every sports team uses the word Bay in the name. The city's not called Tampa Bay, but it's the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're not the San Francisco Bay 49ers. I just, I'm sitting in the airport like, I wonder why they do that. It just makes zero sense to me. And this is the kind of random things that happen when you're sitting in a layover in Baltimore. But have you ever thought about that? I mean, it's, the city's called Tampa. It should be the Tampa Lightning, but everyone uses Bay. I think they're trying to be inclusive and getting people all around the whole uh, because at St. Petersburg, Clearwater, that's mm-hmm. a problem where the kid don't know where to put the stadium. They, the baseball team plays in St. Petersburg. The football team and the hockey team play in Tampa. So it's a, a mess. And they're trying to, that's why they call it the Carolina Panthers, not the Charlotte mm-hmm. Panthers, stuff like that. It's a good reason. I was actually in Nashville when the Titans uh, moved there from the Oilers. And that was a huge thing, too. Nashville was paying for it all you know, tax dollars and stuff, but they wanted it to be the Tennessee Titans to just include more people. So it was a little bit of a hubbub, but I was thinking that this morning, like, that's really weird. I don't know why they do that. Um, Ira, we've got a, a boatload of good guests tonight. Tell us a little bit about Jeff Snook, who's going to be coming up right about 7.30. Um, last week, we had Neil Rudell, who is the Penn State insider covering Penn State. Now we have Jeff Snook, who's an Ohio State insider. Uh, he's had 14 books, uh, about six books on Ohio State. Uh, he actually wrote the biogra- autobiography free on Frank Beamer, the Virginia Tech coach. So he's a really can comment everything about Ohio State we want to talk to. Let's talk about Steve Tannehill, who's going to be coming on. This guy's an absolute legend if you're talking about the Carolinas like we just were. Well, he was the starting quarterback from 92 to 95, four-year starter at South Carolina, is the most prolific uh, quarterback in the history of South Carolina. Even now, is only second in of all-time yards, and he's first in number of touchdowns. And his senior year, he threw 30 touchdowns and 3,500 yards. Uh, led the team his junior year to uh, the, a bowl game and a victory. So in South Carolina, you know, it's a tough place to win, and mm-hmm. he's the most famous quarterback in the history of South Carolina. And you got to think, too, he was in the era of everyone's running the ball. This wasn't, you know, nowadays five wide. You know, think about the numbers he could have put up in a situation like that. It's amazing. Uh, they're out of the top four uh, yardage games. He uh, He's had three, I think four times a South Carolina quarterback has thrown over 400 yards. Three of the four times he threw over 400 yards. Um, you know, it's funny, speaking about the yards thing, the big talk today all over Miami sports radio was, did Dan Marino get shafted? Because Drew Brees is probably going to break the uh, passing yards record tonight. And of course, they're a little salty, and it's like, you know, if Marino had been, you know, had carte blanche to throw 50 times a game, he would have destroyed this record. It may be true. We're not going to see it, and obviously the game has changed, but I think that's interesting, and it would be cool to see uh, Drew Brees light up the Redskins a little bit later. I'm pretty sure he's going to get that. Um, Ira, you took in some football over the weekend, took in some baseball as well. Where have you been? I was first at the Yankee game for the Yankees A's wild card game. Super exciting Yankee playoff games. We're going to have one coming up in a half an hour. Uh, it's just awesome to be in the atmosphere for that game. Yeah, tell, tell me about that. I've never been to a Yankees playoff game. Been a Yankee fan for 35 years. I've never been to a playoff game. But even on TV, you can feel the emotion. Well, first of all, people are there in the first inning. They're sitting in their seats. It's, it's During the regular Yankee games, they stroll in first, second, third innings. Everyone's there. Everyone's up. Two strikes. Everyone's standing up on two strikes when the pitcher's pitching. And 
and uh, it was uh, and, and it's packed. It's full, sold out. Uh, very exciting, very loud, uh, mm. and the fans are screaming the entire game. I mean, I guess it's a lot of a uh, big difference between the games in LA that you go to because <laughs> you, you know it's funny you even have to bring up that everyone's there in the first inning. I'm sure it's not like that on the on the left coast. No, even the World Series, the people weren't there at the Dodger game when the game started, but people were there and they chant because they, in the in the the uh, bleachers chant every name, every Yankee player. Mm. They stand, they tip their cap in the first inning. So everyone wants to be there. And uh, boy, if you were late for the playoff game, you would have probably missed the whole game because that's when Judge hit the <laughs> home run in the in the first inning. Um, what else did you do uh, this weekend? I'm sure you got some football in. Steelers, Falcons. So then I flew from New York to Pittsburgh to watch the Steelers and Falcons game. It's surprising. It was hotter in Pittsburgh than it is down here in uh, in uh, West Palm Beach. You know, we're, we're gonna we're gonna talk more about uh, all those games in depth coming up here on Iron Sports, but. You think Pittsburgh's back? I mean, do you think that they've kind of gotten over those woes? They, Atlanta's not a bad team, and they've been playing pretty well this season. And would you guys score 41 points on them? Held them to, I think, 17. That's a nice win. Offense and defense, both teams. Atlanta, were, uh, Steelers were able to stop Atlanta, and on the other hand, Steelers were able to score points. It looks like they're they're rolling, and 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 finally, the defense. Someone said, "Which Steeler team is going to show up?" And I go, "Well, the Steeler defense hasn't shown up in about a year. <laughs> so whatever team, I don't know. It's not showing up. So it's not like we're looking for a team to show up. But finally, they played very well. Um, the defensive line, uh, T.J. Watt, three sacks, was dominating. Uh, the secondary, they're starting to use some younger guys. Different guys are playing, um, and they're getting it as everything in football it's are you ready for the super bowl building for it make sure you make the playoffs and win the super bowl so i know they had a bad tough start for the season but the goal is to win the super bowl and uh, you know it does help that uh, i think Baltimore got beat, so you guys are moving up a little bit in that division. Cincinnati won in a, in a strange you know, comeback game against Miami, and we'll talk about that coming up. But you're all decked out in the Yankees gear. We're all excited here. Mike Marone, our board ops, decked out in his Yankee gear. We're excited for tonight. I can't wait for the first pitch. It's going to be uh, Nate Eovaldi, former New York, uh, former New York Yankee, uh, facing off against R.A. Severino. So I'm hoping we can get to him early. But let's talk about the game you were at. I mean, or even just the series in general. A couple of these series have been really lopsided so far, Ira. Not this Yankee series. And I think this is what everyone expected from Yankees-Red Sox. And the key thing for the Yankees, I mean, it, what's happened, and now they've played uh, two playoff games and they played the wild card game. If they get the team that when they're winning early, they get the le- early lead, it get, takes the pressure off the starters. Judge hits that two-run home run in the first inning. Severino comes in and Severino's relaxed. And it wasn't like the last time Severino was in a playoff game and was giving up runs all over the place. It was He was relaxed. Now, people are saying, what a great job he pitched. It was amazing. He pitched four innings, 87 pitches, two hits, four walks, and they said, well, he didn't give a run. But, you know, four innings. Mean, that, that's, <laughs> that's the Don Larson perfect game. But at least they took the lead. And then it got to Batances, Robertson, and then Britton gave up some runs, mm-hmm. and then Chapman. But when you look at the Batances, Robertson, and Britton, and Chapman. These guys are all closers. They're all top top flight elite. And if they're able to get the bullpen by the fifth inning, they can win a game. But the key, I think, in that game, and also the game in game two, was when Judge when they hit, Judge hit another home run in that first inning, is to get to knock the lead. So uh, these the Yankee pitchers relax when they have the lead. When they feel they uh, just Judge has been, and I I think what I saw at the stadium is the emergence of a superstar, a so? legendary superstar. 
the Yankees have had the Giambis. The Yankees have had A-Rod. They've had all these great names, big names. Even the homegrown ones, Jeter. We had all those. The Yankees have had all those players. But you're seeing with Judge, someone who had 52 home runs last year, who was on a pace to hit another 40 this year before his injury, who's having these great regular seasons, but now the great postseason also. And that's what's going to make the legend. This is where they're going to put a monument park. They're going to retire his jersey. 99 is going to be retired. This is it's, it's setting up, and the fans are just embracing him. He is becoming the Yankees. No, you're absolutely right. And that's how Yankees fans are very critical. You can put up numbers in the regular season. If you don't perform in the postseason, you're looked at as a bum. And A-Rod had that, um, you know, oh, this guy only hits uh, home runs when we're up 10 nothing in the regular season. Then he, you know, took us on his back and won our last World Series for us to, to, to kind of elevate him in the esteem of Yankees fans. I think you're right. I think that Judge is... Every bit of fit, fitting the bill of becoming a superstar, and at this age, who knows what's going to happen as he gets into his, you know, quote prime years, as they say, maybe like two or three years from now. I want to go back to one thing you mentioned, though. Are you a little bit worried about Zach Britton? I don't know if, if I'm comfortable with him going back in. Uh, well, they have to, <laughs> they have to use him, but he's he's been a little inconsistent. But the Yankees certainly they feel covered. Batances looks um, lights out. He's good, and Robertson looks lights out, and and Chapman is pitching great. Uh, the question is, I mean, J. A. Happ in Game Two, J. The same thing happened though it was in reverse in Game Two. Mm-hmm. J. A. Happ pitched. Uh, I mean, Game One, J. A. Happ pitched terrible, uh, and the, three runs in the first. Yes, inning. and J. D. Martinez hit the home run, and the Red Sox took the lead, and the Red Sox coasted to the end, took the five nothing, and then coasted to the end. So the point is that the team, it seems like. Like now there's three games the Yankees been in. When they take the lead, they win. When they don't get the lead, they lose. And I think that's going to be the you know the story here because, like you said, with that lights out bullpen, you get the <laughs> you get the four innings of of no run ball out of your starter, and you can go five innings after that, which is guys with absolute closeout stuff. And that's what I'm looking to happen tonight. And without the D with the DH in the American League, they're able to set their bullpen up right now. If they had to go up and these you know mm-hmm. they, they have some of these bullpen pitchers have pitched uh, Robertson pitched two innings, Batanzas could pitch two innings. But if they had to be pinch hit for because they're losing or if it's a tight game, then that'd become an issue in the World Series. In the World Series, that will be the issue, but not in the American League playoffs. It's 714, Ira on Sports, 95.9, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Stick around at 730. Jeff Snook, famous author and Ohio State insider, joins us. And then at 745, Steve Tannehill, famous South uh, South Carolina football legend, will pop in to give us some uh, insights into college football as we do it as well. Um, do you want to talk about game one? Uh, Sale was good, and this guy is—he's as advertised. And the Yankees really do not seem to have anything. <laughs> they don't know what to do when Chris Sale's out there. It was almost some of those bats were ugly. And they were lucky they took him out. They probably took him out an inning too early. Yeah. And I think when he was taken out, then they were excited. So that's the ca- the question is, Sales had those injuries, and they're nervous about overusing him and overworking him. He was taken out of the game. But then in game two, they start Price. You know, Price is, David Price is, his record in the playoffs is 2-9 and nine and a 528 ERA. And here's someone who's owed, uh, over the next four years, $120 million. You're paying someone $30 million a year who is really, I mean, he just was terrible in the playoffs again. And this is ridiculous. Ridiculous. I mean, I can't believe they're giving these players get this money and they cannot perform at least something in the playoffs. But that's going to hurt them in terms of uh, going forward because if they have they look like they have one great. Now, Barcelo might pitch well tonight and tomorrow night, but uh, they need they, they need Price to pitch better. And you're absolutely right on that. And he doesn't even play a full season anymore. He misses at least a month every year, at least a month. 
I'm glad that they're the ones tied up in that contract. I did want David Price, of course I did, you know, but now looking back in retrospect, and like you said, two and nine in the postseason, that's just not going to get it done, especially when you're the Yankees. Yeah, it was pretty cool that they, if you go, they haven't met in the postseason since 2004 when the Red Sox came back and won four in a row. So actually the Red Sox had a five-game winning streak in the postseason yeah. spanning 15 <laughs> years over the Yankees. So that win the other night got the monkey off their back. That was probably the worst year of my life. <laughs> that 2004 when they came back and won four in a row uh, to, to knock us off. The, the only thing worse was the um, Luis Gonzalez bloop single off Mariano Rivera uh, a few years before that but other than that you know we've had a pretty good run so what are you thinking for tonight Ira it's Nate Eovaldi we know this guy we faced him for a while um Severino is gonna have to come in and, and give his best what are you thinking CC's tonight oh CC's tonight I thought it was Severino we're, we're fact checking it now this is great it's, it's neat though they've been releasing the pitchers uh uh later but uh um, I, I think it's CC tonight. Do, do you think that we'll be? Uh, you think the Yankees will be able to get um, get it going though, and and get to uh, get to our boy Evaldi earlier? He's probably the weak link. You're right. Tonight. It is Severino tonight. Yeah. No. So all right. So I was, <laughs> um, I look. I I think I think the Yankees win tonight. They lose tomorrow. They lose tomorrow night, and then it goes back to Boston for Game Five. Does anybody want to see a Game Five in yeah, Boston? <laughs> I sure you'll probably be there, but uh, yeah, that's not some not the kind of scenario that I want to see. Um, this series is over now. The Astros have just been absolutely demolishing the the Indians, and the Indians are a good team. And I really didn't see this coming, but you had predicted this from the beginning that Houston's going to cruise. Because now they have the, the Cole and Verlander pitched two great games. And Verlander only pitched five innings the one game, but then Cole pitched uh, lights out the second game. And today they even Keiko didn't even pitch that great. But now the Astros are getting these great. <laughs> they're all hitting Springer, Altovi, Bregman, Gurriel, Gonzalez, Reddick, Maldonado. They are getting they're hit. They're the best hitting team in baseball with lights out pitching. And now they have Asuna in the bullpen. The problem has always been we can't close any gal games. Mm-hmm. Now they have their closer. This team is virtually unbeatable i i really think that, they, that I, they're going to win the world series they this is a better more much improved team and carlos correo has played terrible so the guy that could be one of their star players on their team has played terrible and they mm. still look unbeatable yeah george springer i uh, had two on runs today uh, you know what i mean like th- th- you can't slow this team down you're right getting roberto ozuna from toronto they basically got got fleeced toronto in that toronto just got you know some some low-level prospects for what i think is is a top-end closer in ozuna and he's been very good against the yankees and against the red sox so that's win-win for Houston uh, I agree with you there um I don't want you know we can't make predictions yet we don't know who's going through but you you think that neither team will be able to stop them I, I think they'll they'll run through they might lose one game to the Yankees or Red Sox um they they're just hitting now I mean that was the problem with the Astros earlier in the year where they weren't really hitting and their pitching was still pitching great now the hitting's caught up to their pitching they didn't have Cole Garrett Cole last year too for the Pirates and Cole's now pitching they have they really have three number one starters they are really and now with the bullpen being with azuna uh and now they bring mccullers in they, they have so much flexibility but mm. they can outscore even today they were losing to the indians and they just scored 11 runs i mean it's amazing we were talking earlier about the dodgers and the braves this one's going into the bottom of the seventh it's six to two uh the dodgers on top of the braves i really wanted the braves to pull this series out i i'm just I like the underdog. I like young teams. I think Ozzy Albies and Acuna are going to be superstars if they're not already. The Dodgers just just overwhelm them, you know. And maybe Atlanta did overperform a little bit this year. And NL East is not exactly the best division in baseball, but still they played really good and they scored a lot of runs. And they're not doing that against the Dodgers. 
Well, Rue uh, was six. Uh, you know, wins the first game six zero. Had seven shutout innings, and Kershaw has eight shutout innings and wins the and wins the second game. So with no and with only two hits. So when you're getting the two with starting pitching that the Dodgers have, certainly they've been inconsistent hitting all year. Even though they have a million players that can hit and they have their payroll is enormous, but now they're getting the starting pitching, and that's what. And the Braves. This is great experience for the Braves. This is the Braves team that they will add pieces to it, and two three years from now they're going to be in the playoffs. You're looking at a Braves team that probably be in the playoffs for the next five, six years. so Absolutely. And with the strength of that division, like we said, and Bryce Harper's gone, so you don't have to worry about him anymore. He's he's going to be somewhere else next year. So, yeah, they're in cruise control. If they can add a, a front-end starting pitcher to that team, I, I think they'd be you know really, really good. It's funny how the Dodgers are bucking the trend of every other team in baseball when it comes to pitching. Granted, Creighton Kershaw is the best pitcher in the game when he's on, but you're not seeing guys like Hugin Ryu pitch seven innings on another team. They're going four or five, and they're getting to their bullpen. The Dodgers just they're confident with their stuff, and and they're going to throw it and leave it in until until they're in trouble. I. Well, Kershaw's record was eight and seven with a four oh eight postseason record in twenty games. He'd given up eighteen home runs and one hundred and thirty innings with a regular season A of only two thirty nine. So, you know, he's going fourteen percent of the time home runs, you know, per innings he was giving up home runs in the regular season, only seven in the forty percent of the playoffs, seven percent in, in the regular season. So he was a totally different pitcher in the playoffs, but I mean, he looked awesome that night, a couple nights ago, and if he can pitch like that every single night, then... Uh, but I think they're smart with him. They have more pitchers now. They're not going to pitch him on three days rest. They only pitched nine... He pitched... How about this? He pitched eight um, He pitched eight innings, only 85 pitches. Yeah. So he was... and uh, But I don't think they're going to overuse him, and I think he's going to stay fresh. So I, it'll be interesting to see. Now they're going to play the... If they win tonight, they play the Brewers, whether they beat the Brewers. I, I do think they'll beat the Brewers and, and again, lose the Astros. And, you know, you had given me a stat about you know Manny Mikado, who was their big you know big uh, trans, uh, transaction this season, started off really slow. He was one for twelve. Um, hit a home run today though to pretty much put this game out of reach. So if Mikado starts coming into form, this team's very formidable. I I didn't. I'm just never a fan of the Dodgers, and not because of anything. I just don't think the team is is that good. Um, we're going to really see a test now coming up in the next round. Now, but like I said, I thought Atlanta would have put up a little bit more of a fight here. Let's talk about the next series. And talking about not putting up a fight, I've always been a big fan of the Rockies. I was a little kid when they came into the league, and they were, they were just cool. Cool jerseys. They played in you know Colorado. Everyone hits home runs. So growing up, the Rockies were always kind of like my National League team that I would pull for. I thought they'd at least get one game from the Brewers. I didn't think the Brewers were this good, Ira, and they come in and sweep what I think is a very good Colorado Rockies team. I think the Rockies were just tired out. They had played two yeah. games back-to-back, flown all over the place, flown to Chicago and lost, and then had to fly to Milwaukee. It was just, I think they were just a tired team, and the Brewers got on top of them, and they just gave up at the point. I mean, they just, it's a shows a situation where you have, you're fighting to get the wild card, fighting to win the division, and then you're f- trying to play in the wild card game, and that's great. You know, there should be a, a benefit to win the division, and you're seeing the, the Brewers took advantage of winning their division, so that's good. No, absolutely. Okay, so if this holds on, we're going to see the Dodgers face the Brewers. Who, who do you like here? I mean, I can't think anybody's going to be putting their money on the Brewers, but they just swept what I think is a good Colorado team. They won. The Brewers have won the last eight games of the regular season. They won the tiebreaker game against the Cubs, and now they've won three in a row in the playoffs. So now they've won nine, 12 games in a row. So the Brewers are the hottest team in baseball, and with and their lineup is perfect. I mean, and they playing well. They have a lot. They definitely have a cohesion that the other teams don't have. Now baseball talk about chemistry. The Yankees had no chemistry when they won all their titles with Freddie <laughs> Jackson. But the fact is, chemistry works with this team. Kane gets on. You have Yelich, who's and played MVP baseball. Braun. They're playing. Really 
really well. But I, the Dodgers just, I think, with the pitching and the hitting, will win. You know, it's funny. You had um, you touted both Ozuna and Yelich as you know going to break out after leaving the Marlins. One didn't really, not so much in his first year, Ozuna with the Cardinals. But you were spot on with Yelich. I mean, this guy, he could win the MVP. He, he's just had an amazing season with Milwaukee, and he's going to be their backbone here going into this Dodgers season. Well, I mean, Derek Jeter's sitting there watching and seeing Stanton perform in the playoffs for the Yankees, and he's, he's probably glad Ozuna's not playing anymore, but to seeing how Yelich is becoming the star of the of the Brewers. But, and not just, I mean, when you look at Stanton and Yelich, the good thing about them is that they're great teammates, they're great players, they're they, they seemed they 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 wanted to be here. I, I just I'm so mad at what happened to the Marlins because you had a bunch of guys that really got along well. And look, I'm a Steeler fan, so I see what's going on with the Steelers. You have you have superstar players playing at a very high level that wanted to be in Miami, that actually got along well, that were under reasonable contracts, and you broke it all up. They should only hope and their wildest dreams to get three players like Asuna, Yelich, and Stanton. They had, in my opinion, it was the best hitting outfield in baseball uh, between those three guys. You know, Jeter comes out today and basically fires everybody but the manager. So it's like, who, who are you putting this blame on? This team was lucky to win this. I bet they win 63 games. They were lucky to win 63 games. They're not a good team in any in any stretch of the means. And like you said, you can't give up three guys like that. This is, People want a nucleus to build around. This was the nucleus to build around. A couple of starting pitchers. And this team could have contended in the NL East. I think maybe they just didn't want to pay the contracts. And even though, like you said, they were reasonable contracts, but I have no idea what Jeter's doing. And, and it's sad because he's my favorite player of all time. But it's like a, it's a little scary, Ira. I don't know. We got five minutes until we're uh, joined by Jeff Snook, famous author and Ohio State University insider. Ira's got some great questions for him. And they're one of the few teams that you're giving any credit to having a shot to uh, to go all the way. We'll talk about that later. Let's jump into Steelers and Falcons, though. We've got about uh, five minutes here. This is a huge win for you guys, like I said. I mean, this could be the, the turnaround point of the season. What do you think? Well, yeah, interesting. 41-17, this was the 108th win for Tomlin and Ben Rotzenberger. That's now, that passed Bradshaw and Chuck Knoll, and it's only third all-time behind Chula Marina and Reno and Belichick Brady, which will never be broken. Uh, but Ben finally got, Rotzenberger finally got connected to AB. They talked about how their Wi-Fi, and sometimes the Wi-Fi doesn't work that great, but it's always on. And then Ben said, the Wi-Fi is always on. You just uh, move the phone around and move the location. <laughs> and, and, they, and they really embraced afterwards, and I think they're they're getting the certainly they are getting the chemistry back. They're, the Steelers are like a, the, the old Steelers were Franco and Swan and Star with a few passes and, and those type of things. This team is a Ferrari, and I think they just had it to make the tweaks and adjustments. And Brown did not play a lot in the preseason. Of course, they don't really have any preseason. I think as the season goes on, they get more experience. They're throwing when Bell comes back. I think it's a Ferrari that they're going to get going. And if, look, James Conner ran for, had a tremendous game. He ran for 110 yards, hit for two touchdowns, caught four passes for 75 yards. Ben was 19 for 29 for 275 yards. When you think when Le'Veon Bell comes back and he can alternate with James Conner and Juju Smith-Schuster and Antonio Brown and this great offensive line and Ben this is the team that everyone's like, what's happening? But it was great. More impressive was the defense. The defense stopped. Absolutely. Julio Jones, this, this team that the Falcons were averaging 31 points a game, even though they had they were one and three. They were just but Julio Jones was caught five passes for 62 yards. Joe Hayden 
played great on him. Um, finally, Probably Joe Hayden's best game as a Steeler. Uh, to, to completely. They, I mean, Joe Julio said, he goes, I was double covered the whole game. I was there. I watched it. I was sitting right there in the club. He was not. Hey, they were covered one-on-one. I don't know where he thought someone else was being covered, but he must have, have double vision that day. But he was not being covered by anyone else. And Joe Hayden did a great job. Steelers, one other point, the Steelers were 9-12 and on third downs against the Ravens. They were 2-12. at So and they were converting the third games. downs. They were able, you know, they scored on the first thing and the first possession. But, uh, and Terrell Edmonds, th- you can see the Steelers are tweaking. They're trying. This is not, they're rolling out the same. They are changing. There's people that are starting and defense when I'm sitting there watching who's in the game and who's not in the game. And Terrell Edmonds from Virginia Tech, their first round pick, played a great game in safety. If you watch the game, he made some open field tackles, which they were missing uh, and, and did very well because you know how Atlanta throws their passes in the slot and they mm-hmm. keep running. But it was a great win for the Steelers. Yeah, even, um, you know, Calvin Ridley, who since week two, nobody can stop this guy. And he had his worst game of the season against, you know, not even going against Joe Hayden, just having to fight, you know, going over the middle uh, against some of your linebackers. So obviously some of those guys stepped up. Um, Before we get to Jeff Snook here in a second, you know, you travel all over the country. But you were excited to get back to South Florida after that game because it was so freaking hot. (laughs) Pittsburgh? You don't expect it in October. Well, I liked it when it's hot. I mean, I prefer a heat-hot game, but it was very hot. It was very hot for that game, and it was, I mean, I couldn't believe people weren't even wearing their towels or putting over their heads. It was 90, <laughs> it was 90, it was, I think, 95 degrees in the stadium. So. It, no, absolutely crazy. I wasn't expecting that. We'll have uh, Jeff Snook on here in just a minute. Again, Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Um, staying with this game, you're right. I mean, this game, you expect... The Steelers just score points. You guys always do, or typically always do, especially against Atlanta, who's not really a defensive powerhouse by any means. But the fact that you guys held them to 17 points, a team that just scores 30 on everybody, is absolutely ridiculous. Um, it, yeah, it was. It's tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. It's still waiting on uh, Jeff Snook. Let's talk about the the Dolphins. And this is, um, I, I almost feel like they're like a bad luck team. It was a very weird and fluky game, Ira, where we didn't, you know, they went out to a huge lead and then basically their offensive line cost them the game. You know, they had two issues where they had defensive touchdowns scored on them. Once the left tackle lets a guy go, then another time the right tackle does. So this is not what I was expecting out of Miami. I thought that Gase and Tannehill could hold on with a big lead. And apparently now, if you're a Miami Dolphins fan, you got to be worried. It's kind of scary. Well, they they blew they they had they had a set, you know seventeen to ten lead. They lose twenty seven seventeen. Tanya had four turnovers. Uh, it, it means they now had four turnovers in five games. The fumbles and it was just it was it was one of those games where they needed to win and they had the lead on the Bengals and they were playing well and they felt good about themselves. Uh, and then when they lost the lead, they, they weren't able to make, they weren't able to come back. And I think that's the other thing is you see in these other teams, Carolina blows a lead to the giants, but then they come back and take it. Yeah. That Miami didn't give up. They didn't try to score at the end. Um, you know, throwing pick sixes is never going to help your case, but this is a game to me, Ira, that Cincinnati didn't necessarily win. I think this is one of those examples where the Dolphins lost the game. And I know I hate to say that, but that's how it was to me. You can't blow leads like that. It's not like, um, you know, A.J. Green made some ridiculous play for a 90-yard touchdown to bury them. It's not like Joe Mixon had 250 yards and three scores. This was just the Dolphins shooting themselves in the foot. 
Yeah, and I think that now they, they had a chance to keep, to keep themselves ahead of the Patriots, and now they, they've lost that advantage. And it's just now Chicago comes into town, and this is when the season starts to, to spiral out of control, which many Dolphins seasons have come out of control. Because now the Bears come in, and the Bears, you know, Khalil Mack. They're one of the best defenses in football right, right and they're going to they're gonna force Tano to have more and more fumbles. So. It, you know, it, it's kind of crazy how that's, been, how that's been working out. It's just not... Um, not what they drew up. You know, Adam Gase is supposed to be the kind of guy who knows what he's doing and can shut people down, and it just hasn't happened yet. It's 732, Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Still on the way, Steve Tannehill. You might remember him, especially if you're a big fan of South Carolina. He is an absolute legend throughout the Carolinas. Also, Jeff Snook, famous author and Ohio State University insider, coming by in just a couple of minutes. Ira mentioned the Patriots, and, you know, the Patriots, Ira, this is a team that they don't go away. This game, you you know, you were talking about Thursday, or it was last week, and you think this might have been like the coming out party for them. They were, you know, they don't start off poorly in seasons, and they did, and they just decided, you know what, we need to make an example of the Jets. Well, just look like what happened to the Steelers. They're figuring it out, and when you look at the Patriots, they're like, Brady's done, they're terrible, but then when you look at, they finally got Sony Michelle, who was their first-round draft pick. I mean, when do they ever draft a running back in the first I round? I thought that was so bizarre. And and he w- was hurt all preseason, hurt the first two games of the season. I tried to draft my fantasy. I missed it. I wish I, I missed my <laughs> one person. But he had 18 carries for 98 yards, one touchdown. Looked like someone who's going to be playing for years for the, for the Patriots. Uh, Edelman comes back after a four-game suspension, seven catches, 57 yards. And Josh Gordon, two catches for 50 yards and a touchdown. Three players that two games ago did nothing, and suddenly now they're star- Now you're starting to see the emergence of this great offense that New England has. Just like the Steelers are emerging, they're emerging. It, it, it's funny how when you're an older team like that, I don't want to say older team, but when you're a team like that, maybe sometimes it does take a little longer to come together. I, obviously, I think that the Steelers had some, you know... Uh, what do you? What's the word for it? Like some drama, basically. You know that they had some drama. Patriots have minor drama. They're always talking about you know Brady not being so happy with Belichick. But at the end of the day, I know the Patriots come this time of year, like you said, when football really starts around week six, week seven, week eight. Patriots are going to have nothing to worry about, and they didn't this week. Um, just handling it to the Colts, thirty-eight twenty-four. That game is closer on paper than it was if you watched it live. Tom Brady was just. We had three touchdowns in the first quarter. I, you know, it was just ridiculous. That you know, I love having him on my fantasy team. This is a game that that was weird to me, Ira. Kansas City, Jacksonville. Now, Jacksonville is, you know, they're really the best defense in football on paper. They went to the AFC Championship game last year, which is you know hasn't happened since Mark Brunel w- w- was their their QB. They got beat by KC, and KC. This was the game for me where people have to, if you're in the AFC, you got to start being scared of this Kansas City team. Patrick Mahomes, only a rookie, uh, not a rookie, but his first year starting. You have to be scared if you're in the AFC. Even the Patriots have to be scared of this Kansas City Chiefs team. Um, yeah, I mean, that was I was at the Steeler game when it happened. So you're watching, you're seeing the score come up, and you're like, and they got off on, on Jacksonville, on Jacksonville early, and Bortles finished 33 for 61, 430 yards, four interceptions. So Kansas defense actually bottled up Jacksonville, which Jacksonville's offense had struggled all year. Mm-hmm. But and Mahomes doesn't have the greatest game in the world, but still they were able to dominate, and that you know, it just sets up for next week with Kansas City at New England. I mean, this is this game you can't put any more importance. It's who has home field in the playoffs, Absolutely. where the AFC Championship game is going to be. 
we had. There's a lot riding on this game because back in, in two months from now, it's going to be late December. We always say, where's this game? In January, we're talking about who's playing in the AFC Championship game. Is it going to either be in Kansas City or New England? It's going to be decided Sunday night. No, you're absolutely right. You're already writing the Steelers off. I mean, you guys could still be there in the AFC Championship game. I'm sure you're rooting for it. That tie is going to help them in the long, not help. I mean, obviously it wins better, but the fact that, you know, you hear two and two, it's not that good, but two, two and one, that'll probably get them in the playoffs if they keep this up. So that'd be something to look out for. But yeah, I mean, there's no team in football that looks scarier than KC than the Rams. I mean, the Rams, these guys are the real deal. They might be losing Cooper cup and Brandon cooks to concussions. They're both in the protocol now, but if you're in the AFC, this Kansas city team went against the best defense in the league and scored 30 points with a guy in his fifth start ever. Uh, so that's that's just weird. We also had something weird happen. You know, I commented last week on this show, Iron Sports, that all all the rookie quarterbacks lost. You know, every single rookie quarterback lost. This week, it's the polar opposite, and all four of the rookie quarterbacks going get a win. So uh, I mean, good for they weren't the prettiest wins, but still, they all won. So good for them. Yeah, I mean, it was. <laughs> it was interesting. They didn't have great games. I mean, the Browns beat the Ravens 12-9 in overtime. It was a crazy, crazy game. Mayfield 25-43 for 342 yards, and they kicked out the craziest game-winning field goal in, at the end. But, I mean, Mayfield is so exciting. Keeps your eyes. I mean, we, everybody rushed out to the Steeler game, and they were in the club section watching that game. And it, just watching really? what Mayfield did. Yeah, there's about a, hundreds of fans are watching Mayfield. And Darnell had a great game for the Jets and Broncos. I mean, that score came up. And it's like the Broncos chose not to pick one of these four quarterbacks. They had their shot. They went with Case Keenum. And it's not working out as well as they were hoping. Uh, J- um, Rosen, tw- you know, he beat the 49ers 28-18 uh, in a, probably a terrible game in terms of statistics. 10 for 25, 470 yards yards and a touchdown but did some nice things i watched that game and it looks like you know if you're having if you're if you have one of these four young quarterbacks and they're playing great and they're playing okay you're like okay we have a future they can improve they'll be better and josh allen for buffalo even had a good game and that was a again they're a surprising team i mean tennessee just had a big win over jacksonville and buffalo wins uh 13 12 josh allen was 10 for 19 for 82 yards interception but still managed the game and won a big game no you're right and that's as a rookie I, I don't expect these guys to come out and just be dropping 303 every week. You know, it, it's there, there's going to be struggles when your team can still win. And Buffalo is just scrappy. This team just knows how to scrap out wins. Tennessee's kind of had that moniker so far this season where they're pulling wins out of nowhere in these low-scoring battles. I mean, they... They seem to get it done, but Buffalo got it done with a rookie who had number, I mean, his passer rating is probably 40. You know, it's not good, but a win's a win. Got to give the Jets some credit, though, with Isaiah Crowell. I mean, that guy, he took the game on his back and beat a Broncos team. You brought something interesting up, though, about maybe John Elway's not good at evaluating quarterback talent. I mean, you're right. They, they had the third pick. They could have easily taken, you know, I think most camps knew the Giants were going to take Barkley. So they pretty much had their shot after Baker Mayfield of any of these quarterbacks. He chose Case Keenum, who did have a good year last year in Minnesota, but he's also whiffed on Paxton Lynch. I mean, his only real successful quarterback was Peyton Manning. And I mean, that it's not that hard to, to gauge, Ira. You think maybe Elway's the problem here? No, he's not the problem, but he's certainly taking a risk, and they and they made him and they they made a mistake with that. But uh, uh, their de- <laughs> you know they need their defense in a game like this. They need their defense to play much better. And if you're gonna if you're if you're gonna have Case Keenan the quarterback, you're gonna have to uh, you, you definitely you can't give 34 points to the Jets. No, the Jets are not an offense. They've been talked about as having you know the, the weak the defense is good I think, but the weak part is going to be the run day. 
and that was exposed, exposed tenfold by the Jets. So, you know, good win for them. Um, my Giants, I don't know what to think of this team. I really don't enjoy the the antics anymore. And, you know, there's always someone saying, you know, behind the scenes is, uh, you know, talking about Shermer or people not getting along. Odell Beckham never shuts his mouth, but he does throw touchdowns sometimes. So we got to see that. The Giants lost what I would consider a heartbreaker. Um, like I said, our our, uh, our chief of master controls here, Mike Marone, thinks that, that the refs did us in. What do you think, Ira? A, a rough loss to Dave Gettleman's old team, Carolina, beating the Giants 33-31. to Well, I think the Giants, the problem with the Giants scored with a minute to go, they took the lead. They, they won. They thought they won the game. They relaxed. I mean, they, it seemed like they're relaxing now. And Carolina only had one pass, like a twenty-yard pass, and then Gano hits a sixty-three-yard field goal. So I don't know if the refs cost in the game. A sixty-three-yard field goal cost in the game. So that was what the difference was. It, um, tell me a little bit about the Sterling Shepard tantrum, because uh, I, I I didn't see it all, and he seems like a guy that of all the skill players that we have, he seems to have really good composure. And but he didn't on Sunday. Well, both Beckham and Sterling Shepard were both throwing tantrums on. Well, Beckham, so, I expected. So he's following, <laughs> but but people follow Beckham's lead, and that's the problem. And then Shermer had to come out. The coach had to come out and say, "I've already talked to Beckham. The team's talked to him. We're getting this under control." But it's going to keep coming up all year long. And then everyone keeps. I mean, <laughs> the problem is, is that is that you cannot have Beckham criticize the quarterback as much as Antonio Brown and Ben had feud and whatever. Brown did not throw. Uh, uh, ben Roethlisberger under the bus. He did not. He just did. He said, this is this. He was mad at the coaches, mad at this. But he was very careful not to criticize Ben. And whereas Beckham doesn't, you know, criticize Ben, uh, Eli at any, at any turn. He's criticizing him constantly. And that's just not going to work in a locker room. Tell me what you think about Pat Shermer. Uh, do you think this guy's on the hot seat now? A lot of Giants fans are calling for his head already. It's been five games. If you're looking at it from Gettleman's point of view, do you think they made the, maybe the wrong choice in Sherman? They're a win now, right, team? I mean, with Manning as a quarterback, so I don't think if they win this year, yeah, he'll be gone. I think this is a win now, team. They have these shiny little pieces and parts, and everyone likes to play in these toys. Everyone thinks they're great, Barkley and and Beckham and Shepard and Manning, and uh, uh, they don't have a young quarterback that they're going to use. They have to win this year. No, absolutely they do, and um, we've had our offensive line woes. You've probably seen Eric Flowers will be released tomorrow. If nobody wants to trade for him, I don't think anyone's taking him off our hands. So Eric Flowers will be released um, tomorrow. He's been a turnstile at both sides of the offensive line, So, and that does have a lot of issues. One thing that's interesting to me is the Giants scored 30 points in a game for the first time in two years. That's not good, and that's not going to get it done. Carolina has not been that great this year. And you let them hang 33 points on you. So I'm putting this on the defense, not necessarily the refs like some people would. And I'm putting it on just, you know, Giants once again, not knowing how to close a game out and also always playing to the team that they're playing. You know, they're not going to blow anybody out. They're going to play down to the level or they'll play up to the level. Um, Speaking of playing up to the level, Detroit Lions got a pretty big surprise win. I doubt many people, and granted it's an NFC North game. So you're going to... Those games, I never know who's going to win. The Bears can beat the Packers at any given Sunday. But it happened, and Detroit got a nice little win, 31-23 to over Green Bay. But Rodgers, he really padded, the, uh, padded it up for, for fantasy owners. Well, he had 442 yards and three touchdowns, but he had two fumbles. And again, now you have a situation there where he's complaining about his 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 wide receivers. I mean, again, and the media just plays into it. It's that poor Aaron Rodgers. Oh, it's so, oh, woe is him. His team's not good. His coach is not good. All these other things. I mean, 
Every, he gets such a pass. Oh, now his knee hurts him and he can't play. You know, Brady doesn't get this pass. They have no wide receivers in New England. They're bringing wide receivers, a different wide receiver every week for New England. And, he, and Brady's just trying to win. And Ben is trying to win. These other quarterbacks are trying to win. But Aaron Rodgers gets this pass. And if he's, such, if he's quote, the best quarterback in football, then he wouldn't be 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. No. And, and, and I just think he, I, I think this again, you cannot just keep, he's like, I have the worst wide receiving core. My wide receivers are terrible. He's Devontae Adams. He has wide receivers. He has Jimmy Graham caught seven balls. He has people who can catch the ball, throw it to him, make the better passes, don't fumble the ball, win some games. Why did, you know, and you're absolutely right in this, but why did Randall Cobb go from excellent slot receiver to not good all of a sudden? Because because Aaron Rodgers said that. And he sits in the middle of the game, he sulks, he criticizes players. Again, I'm going to compare him. Eli does not do that with Beckham. Eli, look at these other quarterbacks philip rivers tom brady tom brady will yell at the people and yell at them but then get work with them later so i mean so he does that but i i think that i think it's not going to get better if, if aaron Rodgers has his attitude now he is the highest paid quarterback in football and he's not going anywhere i mean there's going to become with the packers where mccarthy's going to be gone because there's no way they're, they're not getting rid of aaron Rodgers, and they're just give him somebody that he wants to have but i don't know he wants to have that responsibility of having a quarter having a coach that he picked it's almost like he just wants to complain about everything but not be not invest himself with a solution. You know, that's an interesting theory, and I've never thought about it like that. Maybe he's the LeBron James of football. I mean, Mike McCarthy's obviously a good coach. He's a Super Bowl winning coach. He might lose his job because of Aaron Rodgers, and I never thought about it that way, but you're right. Mike McCarthy will end up being the scapegoat in this situation, Ira, and that's really not fair. Someone's going to pick him up immediately. So I, I didn't I didn't see that coming. That That's an interesting take. Rodgers is very good. Is he, he can pay numbers, but yeah, he just doesn't have that Brady-like killer instinct, in my opinion, and that's why I, I think it's holding him back. It's time to bring in our good friend. It's about to be our really good friend. His name is Steve Tannehill. He's the South Carolina football legend. Steve, thanks for joining us here on Ira on Sports. Steve, it's Ira here. Thanks for coming on the show tonight. What's that? Thanks for coming on the show tonight. This is Ira from Ira on Sports, and we're, 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 we're here in West Palm Beach. I know you're in Columbia, South Carolina. I can barely hear you guys. Got us coming in low. Uh, why don't we drop the call and call him back? Might be a, an issue on the line there. Um, yeah, we hear him loud and clear. Um, before we get him back on, uh, championship rematch game of the NFC, Ira. It was Minnesota and the Eagles, and the Eagles seem to just be a team that – really is hitting that Super Bowl slump. I mean, that sophomore slump a- after coming off a big season. Well, I mean, I watched you watched the whole game and clearly there's a lot they they Minnesota had revenge. I mean, they lost this is the championship game Minnesota lost. So Minnesota was playing. You see the difference between Case Keenum and Kirk Cousins? Uh, Cousins was 30 for 37. Uh Keenum didn't have that type of game and Minnesota is really qu- clicking uh and the Eagles just as we talked about and now Jai has a torn ACL. Carson Wentz is still rusty and the Eagles were just like it thought it was going to be easy and they they might not make the playoffs this year. They are this is they still think they're the Super Bowl champs and that was last year and that was a long time ago. You don't get that kind of, you know, the, the Patriots get that kind of credence where it's like, well, they're the Patriots, they'll be there because they've done it five times. I don't think anybody, you know, I thought the Eagles were still going to be a, a competitive team. But great point, though, about, you know, Case Keenum, whatever you want to say about him, had a great regular season. He did not play well in the NFC Championship game. And then you see the Eagles go on to take it all. I think we do have Steve Tannehill back. Steve, are you with us? Yep, I got you. Got us now. Go ahead, I. 
Steve, um, I don't, I want our listeners, we're here in West Palm Beach. This is the home of Florida, Florida State, and Miami. But I think, I mean, it's amazing how many times I say Altoona, Pennsylvania, and the first name they mention is Steve Tannehill. Uh, you were, you know, certainly a legend, four-year starter at South Carolina, second all-time still in yardage, first all-time in, in touchdowns. Took the team in 93 to 7-5 uh, uh, record, 94-7-5 record into the bowl games. I mean, and I look at your record, and you like you beat Clemson at Clemson thirty three seven. You beat LSU at LSU eighteen seven eighteen seventeen. You won at Georgia. I mean, you were the, one of the best road quarterbacks ever. Um, and you had I, in South Carolina's history, there's four games that someone's thrown four hundred yards. You threw three of those games of four hundred yards. And you see all the passing in football today. Which did you wish you were playing today's? You need to be thrown for six hundred yards today, don't you think? Yeah, we we kind of um, you know my junior and senior year we we. Uh, Brad Scott came from Florida State, and, and uh, um, we really aired it out. And then my senior year, John Reeves came from Florida, and we ran some of Coach Spurrier's stuff. So my senior year, man, we, we threw it around a lot, and our defense wasn't very good, so um, <laughs> we got to throw it a lot more. But uh, some of these yards these guys are putting up now is, is amazing and uh, how much the game has changed, you know, in 20 years. Um. You know, it's amazing. I looked at your records and looked how you're playing in front of, I think one year you played in front of a million people. You're a starting quarterback in front of a million people all year, playing in front of 100,000. You're 18, 19 years old. And now we're looking at these college quarterbacks today, same thing. What's the pressure? Like, how, how, do, how did you handle the pressure of playing as you're an 18, 19-year-old in front of 80 to 100,000 people every single week? How you use it is, is um you know, you use the momentum and the crowd noise to your advantage, and uh, you enjoy the moment. I always said um, I love to play the game uh, and have fun. And, uh, um, you know, what's more fun than going on the road in the SEC and, and uh, competing with all those people cheering against you? And, uh, um, and I love that I thrived. Uh, the bigger the crowd, you know, uh, it seemed the better I played. And uh, we played as a team, and it's how it is now. I mean, you look at – you look at these stadiums and, you know, there's over a hundred thousand people at Penn state and Texas A&M and, and, uh, man, it energizes the players and the players love it. Um, even as a coach, when, when I was coaching, the more, the, the, the games that were big and the crowds were full and the kids on both teams just played a little bit better just because of that energy in a stadium. And, and what do you do in terms of, I mean, I go to, I was at the Steeler game on Sunday. It's loud. You go to Steeler, you know, for pro football games. But when you're at a Penn State, Ohio State game with the whiteout, and I mean, you just, you wonder how Ohio State's calling their plays. I mean, I can't talk to the person next to me, let alone a quarterback. And so in terms of running an offense, when everyone's screaming against you, what do you do as a quarterback? Uh, how are you doing the silent counts? What did you do to be able to, I mean, you played in every, in the SEC, in the top environments, in, at Alabama, at Georgia, at LSU, at Florida. How did you, how, how could you operate with the, the crowd noise that loud? Well, basically everything is just hand signals. Um, you know, we we stayed in the shotgun a lot, and uh, you know there was really no snap count or cadence. And and uh, I mean, you practiced all week with the crowd noise. Uh, they bring speakers out on the field, or you go in the stadium and they turn everything up, so you get used to it. Um, but as a player, you got to you kind of go. Everything goes quiet as soon as you kind of step on the field. You, you don't hear anything. And, um, you know, as you get older and get more experience, it really helps. The game, they say the game slows down, and, and that's really what happens. You just, I mean, you don't hear anything. Um, you know it's loud, but, um, you know, you, you use hand signals and you prepare all week, 
And, uh, you know, that's what they, they have to do every game. You know, I watched that Penn State game, and, and uh, man, that, there's no way you can talk. Um, so <laughs> even to check a play, you know, you kind of tell the center and he passes it down. Um, and everybody else is on a hand signal. There's no other way to do it. It's just it's just over overwhelmingly too loud. So you're you've been in South Carolina for a long time uh, in terms of being in Columbia uh, and coaching. You won two three state championships as a coach as a high school football coach in South Carolina. Talk a little about Clemson. How did Clemson somehow? Become from, go from the good team to a great team who now maybe James Franklin would call them an elite team. What, 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 I mean, it's Dabo Swimmy, but, but exactly what have, how have they just become such a dominant football team? Well, I think it goes to, to Dabo. Um, I've known Dabo since 1991. Dabo was um, a wide receiver on Alabama's 92 national championship team. And uh, I, I took a visit to Alabama and met him. And, and uh, when he started as a wideout coach at Clemson, um, you know, we became pretty good friends, and, I, and uh, you know, I've known him ever since. But what he's done there is amazing. But i tell you how he's done it. Um, he's gotten a lot of Alabama guys up there in roles off the field. Um, a lot of those guys that were coaching when he was a player uh, that are now probably in their 60s are helping that program. Um, and, and the lifeblood of football now is, is recruiting. And uh, if you go to the Final Four two or three years in a row and win a national championship one of those years, um, you know, student-athletes want to come there and play. And um, it's an unbelievable atmosphere there. Um, and they've just, hit, they've just hit it perfectly with their recruits. It has a lot to do with um, Dabo got C.J. Spiller to stay his senior year, and that, and that helped. And then he got Deshaun Watson. And uh, Deshaun Watson, obviously, started in NFL in his second year, started as a rookie before he got hurt. Um, but getting that guy that it stays there three or four years um, and getting those kids to believe in a program is, is how it happened at Clemson. And, and uh, you know, I hate it um, because, <laughs> you know, obviously I, I pull for South Carolina and, and I want us to, to, to do those things. But um, right now it, Clemson's one of those top two or three programs with Alabama and Ohio State year in and year out. Um, and, and you look at them this year, they have four first-round picks on the defensive line, and uh, that, that's unheard of. You, know, you hear about some of that, some maybe from Alabama, but they have four <laughs> probable first-round picks on a defensive line, and uh, you know, they're just talented, and, and, and uh, they recruit, and uh, that's what you've got to do in college football now. It's all about recruiting. We're talking uh, on Iron Sports on 95.9, 106.9 in West Palm Beach uh, to Steve Tannehill, the most prolific passer in South Carolina's football history. Um, I guess that brings to the next question at, in Clemson. And how, how would you have handled the whole Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence situation where you have Kelly sat, uh, you know, sat his turn, Deshaun Watson graduates. He then takes the team, does a phenomenal job, and then they substitute him with, uh, then, tr- then they bring in the number one recruit in the country in Trevor Lawrence. How do you think Dabo handled that? And, and what, what's your opinion of that whole situation? Well, I kind of have experience with that because I was the young guy. Uh, my freshman year, you know, I was the Herald and recruit. Now, we didn't have, um, we, you know, we would start out 0-5 before they decided to, you know, turn to me. But um, I, so I don't understand. I, I can't feel for Kelly Bryant. All I can do is say, if the, you know, you play the best players. Um, and if, if the young guy, Lawrence, is the best player, then he's got to play. Um, I really don't think they thought Kelly Bryant would, you know, quit basically and say he was going to transfer. Um, but I don't know that I agree with it um, as far as from Kelly Bryant's 
point of view, I understand you got demoted. But if you look at Alabama, Jalen Hurts got demoted, and he's staying with the team and being a team player. So, um, you know, I understand I, from Dabo's standpoint of view, and you got to remember this, there's a quarterback coach, an offensive coordinator, and then Dabo. There's three people making that decision, not just Dabo saying, hey, I want to do this. That had to come from the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator as well. So, um, in their mind, they thought probably, I mean, they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna win every game in the regular season. I think for them, they're looking to the Final Four. Um, you know what they need to win, and uh, I think they need to be able to throw the ball more. And, and obviously, that's what they think. And, and they went with Lawrence, who, I mean, he's a pretty good player. Um, and uh, I, 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 I'm always going to agree with the coach. You play the best players, whoever you think can help your team win. And uh, and that's what I think he did. And uh, we'll see how it comes comes down, you know, when, once they get to the Final Four. But, uh, um, you know, you play the best players. And it happens all the time in other positions. Uh, but that quarterback is, is just such a different different guy and different team leader. And that, that's the one thing I don't understand. If you're a team leader and a captain and you get demoted, how do you just quit on your team? Uh, that's a little frustrating for me. So what and what do you think about the new rules that the whole four 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 game you play four games and if you it allows to play four games but if you play your fifth game then you can't redshirt so that's why Kelly quit after four games because he had played four games. Yeah, I, and I think Dabo Dabo kind of might maybe help that situation. Um, they could have left you know Brian as the starter and then he was stuck. So I think Dabo maybe looked out. Um, for the player there, I, I'm not sure about a new rule. Um, I, I think it helps the young players. You know, it helps those freshmen get some experience uh, for a couple games. But uh, I'm not sure that it's going to be used correctly because you're going to see a lot of older players. Um, you know, who maybe aren't getting in and don't get in. Just say, well, I'm done before they play me too much, and I'm going to go somewhere else. So I like the rule as far as the young, especially freshmen and redshirt. <laughs> to to be able to play a freshman four games and then still redshirt them, and I think it helps with injuries. You get a couple guys banged up and you need a guy, um, and you, you can still play one. So I I like the rule, but I think it's going to be abused um, with some of the older players. Uh, we're talking to Steve Tannehill on ninety five nine one zero six point nine one zero five point one six to nine true oldies in West Palm Beach. But uh, Steve, you're in the bar ownership business. You bought a bar in Columbia called Group Therapy. Tell me about how it is owning owning a bar down there. Uh, you know, I always thought I'd move back to Altoona and, and uh, you know, buy one of the many neighborhood bars we had um, and have in Altoona. And, and uh, you know, my parents moved to, um, to Myrtle Beach about a year ago. And, and uh, you know, I, uh, I just feel more comfortable, I guess. I've been in South Carolina since I graduated. So, um, but I like it. Um, you know, a lot more free time than there is in coaching. You know, maybe miss the, miss the Friday nights a little bit. But being in the high school, man, it – uh, the administrators don't understand, and parents sometimes don't understand. Um, and it's tough when, when you're not in the season. Um, but, um, you know, owning a bar, I have a lot more free time. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I left Columbia Sunday, and I'll go back for two days and then um, go hunting for three days. So um, I, I get to enjoy some of that. You know, I, I coached for 16 years, and, and uh, you know, I put my time in, and uh, I'm enjoying – uh, this ride so far, so I've only had it two years. We're going on our third now, and uh, being that it's in the university, it's in Five Points. It's it's where all the students go. You kind of still uh, get to feel that um, you know that school pride, and 
And, uh, you know, it, it's, um, it's fun. It's challenging sometimes, you know, but, you know, I coached, had a hundred kids and, and uh, now I got about 14 employees, so it's a little bit different. <laughs> well, Steve, thanks a lot for uh, being on, on on my show, and it's it's uh, tremendous to talk to you. And and certainly your career is amazing, and your insight into into football. And is there anything in terms of their website for your bar? It's called Group Therapy in Columbia. So everybody from West Palm that comes it should come and, and and stop by if you're in Columbia. Is there a website to buy any merchandise? I know people are always into this buying merchandise from different bars and those things. Nah, we don't have any of that. Just social media. You can go to Twitter and Instagram and I guess on Facebook. I don't I don't handle any of those accounts, but I know there is one. Um I think it's under Tannehill's group therapy, um, on all three of them. But uh yeah, it's uh it's different and uh it's exciting though, man. Being around the school and, and enjoying the seasons, you know, two years ago we went to the final four, the basketball team and man that was that was unbelievable to be around the students. Um, so it, it's uh, it's fun, but I appreciate you guys having me on anytime, and uh, you know we still we all stick together from Altoona. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Steve. Really appreciate it. You're all listening right, to Iron Sports. It's ninety five nine, the True Always Channel. It's eight o'clock. I'm Mike Balsamo. Um, we may have Jeff Snook on in just a moment. We're still waiting to uh, see if we can figure that out. We are discussing though. Let's talk about the the fight because this was an interesting fight, Ira. Um, Khabib, he he came in as the favorite. I anticipated that he'd win. The fight, McGregor looked a little bit better than I thought he was going to, though, coming off, you know, not really uh, fighting in the MMA in, what, two years, pops back in and went four rounds with him before getting uh, submitted. Well, I got to watch the fight in New York, and I'm telling you, short of being at the fight and being at, at, a, at, a, at a fight like that, the excitement of being at a bar in New York, and not just a bar, but a three-level bar with a thousand people with sitting on huge screens all over, it was tremendous. And the energy, people are going crazy, they're screaming. Uh, it was an Irish bar, so more pro-McGregor. I mean, I had some friends who were at a Russian's bar that was more Khabib, and no, most people didn't see Khabib fight. They knew who McGregor was. He was the draw. And as, as, as it had, the fight was exactly what people said. It's McGregor McGregor wants to be standing. McGregor wants to box. McGregor wants to kick. And Habib says, "You know, I wrestle bears for a living. I want you on the ground, and I want McGregor on the ground, and I'm just going to pummel him when he's on the ground." And the first two rounds, that what he did. He got McGregor down fast, and then he just pummeled him. He just stood him on there. And usually, I don't like the wrestling. I don't like the grappling on the ground. It's hard to see. It's hard. But with McGregor, you thought, "Well, how's he going to try to reverse it?" And he tried. He was trying to save his energy and then get up. And I thought the second round was he was getting smashed in the second yeah, round. Yeah, he was. And then, but the third round, he was able. Now, usually they fight only three rounds, and then the championship fights, and then they fight five. McGregor and Khabib had only gone four and five rounds uh, twice each. Um, but in the in the third round, McGregor was able to stay on his feet almost that whole round, and that was so exciting. If you get to watch this fight, it's something that you, everybody should watch. If you're into MMA, into boxing, I know it got on at 1230 at night, so everyone's was, exhausted. Yeah. But it, the third round was tremendous. But then the fourth round starts, and, uh, and, and the fourth round began, and it was just, and then I think McGregor was out of gas and Abid was able to put him on a hold and McGregor tapped out that was 100% my take the third round was going to be McGregor's shot and it didn't come to fruition he looked gassed in the fourth round and he still put up a valiant fight I got to tell you I, I you know I, I I wrestled for a long time I know how MMA works I don't think that was the best chokehold I think he 
I think McGregor realized it was time to throw in the towel. I don't think he was out of air. That's just my personal opinion, and he's a lot tougher than me. If Conor McGregor hears I said that, I'm going to get beat up in the parking <laughs> lot. But it just didn't. It seemed to me like he knew how the, the direction that this was going to go from there. I think he was gassed, and I think it was the right spot where he's like, before I black out in the ring, which most fighters would do, I'm just throwing this one in. I'm getting paid anyways. That's my take on it. Well, it was weird. When it happened, I it's so loud when you're in a bar. And I guess I'm explaining this is a, as a three-level bar, thousand people screaming. You've almost felt you were like at the fight. And then when it ended, I didn't know McGregor tapped out. I didn't know if they disqualified Khalid for choking. Like at one point, I didn't know what was going mm-hmm. on because then you saw Khalid jump out of the ring outside and you didn't know what was going on until you said that, did he, was he disqualified? Was he was mad? Did he jump out of the ring? He jumped out of the ring to, or octagon, to then punch one of McGregor's, yeah. hand, one of his friends who has a Bantamweight UFC fighter. And then McGregor gets on the top of the octagon and he hits one of Khalid fighters and Khalid's, then he's sucker punched by two Khalid guys in the ring. So now McGregor's fighting two Khalid Khalib uh, buddies, and then Khalib's on the outside. And I, I had friends that were there in the first row, in, in the first couple rows. I mean, there's tons of celebrities. Matt mm-hmm. Damon, the governor of Nevada, uh, Rory McIlroy, Robert Kraft. Robert Kraft. They're all sitting there right in front of them. This is all going on. So it is. it got dangerous. And now, I mean, it's like the commentary is like, this was like, could you imagine like Kevin, like say Kevin Durant won the NBA Finals and suddenly just jumped in the crowd and started beating up some of LeBron's <laughs> evil. I mean, on one hand, this is awful. It's terrible. It's an embarrassment it's just you, people should be arrested on the other hand it's like in sports day everybody gets along so well and there's no venom at all they all it's they're all friends they all at the end of the Ravens Steeler game I think everyone's there and they're just having a tea party I mean it used to be mm-hmm. Ravens play the Steelers they'd all go they to their locker room yeah. they hate each other now everybody gets along even in hockey they get along in yeah. all these sports and that's great that you know people don't have that but it, but these guys hate each other I mean this is pure unadulterated hate that McGregor and his team hates Khalib and his team they do not get along and 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 so there's something about that. And now the, the best outcome for the OC happened is that if McGregor would have beat Khalib, then McGregor's still the star and he's the superstar and everything. And Khalib is just someone McGregor beat. But now that McGregor, McGregor's okay that be, losing because he's lost before. And, and people say, well, he couldn't have a two match losing streak. I think McGregor could lose three more times and still be so popular. Oh, yeah. So he's lost that. So now he, McGregor stole his name, but now Khalib people know. So now they have another name of Khalib. Even when they fight a rematch or the Khalib fights someone else, now he's the person who beat McGregor and who did this. I, I just think it's it's they now have a new name and now you have all the drama after the fight. People are trying to say what happened, what happened. That's all people are talking about. They're talking about that more than the NFL, more than whatever. And so they're in bad. So on one hand, they, they have this fight. They're fighting in this. It's WWE broke out and it's all bad. But instead, it creates it creates so much energy and discussion and money for everybody. No, you're absolutely right. This is the best possible outcome for Dana White and and the UFC. And there's surely going to be a rematch. Maybe not the next fight, but you will see. Khabib McGregor. This was the number one UFC fight ever by far. Ratings wise? Ratings wise, money wise, everything gate wise. And the second one is probably going to double this. And and they're getting to the point where they're going to, they're going to pass boxing. The boxing matches when, who said, the Mayweathers who sat Pacquiao and all the other ones who set all the records. You know, the biggest shock to me was that it was only 65 bucks on pay-per-view. I thought I was going to drop $100 on this, like you'd seem to do for every big fight. 65 bucks wasn't bad for a, for a night of entertainment. The UFC, unlike boxing, has figured it out. Because what the UFC has done is that they have gone... I was talking to people who were running these promotions. There's like one agency in New York that did this. And they go around and they sell it. Usually it's by occupancy. So boxing charges so much, how many bars have? So the large bars can't afford to have these boxing matches because they're too big. So you're seeing it at like these bars called Playwright. The smaller little bars in New York, the quote boxing bars have it. The boxing matches, even the good pay-per-views. But 
But for USC, they don't charge as much. So now more bars have the fight. There's more excitement. It's only $20. You're all people are already out there. And they go and they're able to get all these people involved in, in it. And I think that's helped the USC. In West Palm Beach, it was at all these different bars, more bars than just a few. And you didn't have to search to find it. And you saw with the $65, they got more people watching by lowering the price. And I, I think that's the perfect method. You're absolutely right. Having worked in bars for a long time, they would do your maximum capacity. You'd get a price off of it. I worked at a bar that could fit 5,000 people. It never had more than 1,000, but you were paying for 5,000 people if you wanted the big fights. Absolutely crazy. Hey, we're out of time. Went over just a little bit here on Iron Sports. Iron, let's thank Steve Tanniel for popping by the South Carolina football legend. He was an excellent guest. I want to thank you so much, Ira. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's catch up next Monday night, Iron Sports.